Welcome to the Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast, where today we will be listening to this week's sermon by Pastor Brent Russell. If you have your Bible, smartphones, or tablets and want to follow along, we're looking at that, that story this morning, Luke chapter 2, or it will be on the screen uh, in front of you or on the screen that you're watching at, at home. Last week we looked at the story before the story. Jesus existed before he was born, but today I want to take you into the Christmas story, and I'm hoping that you can see it from a new perspective. I was looking at a sermon that I preached about this in 1995, and it's funny how things progress. Uh, That sermon is almost irrelevant now. Um, I talked about Christmas cards. Now, I still get a few Christmas cards here and there, but they're all from people over 50. Uh, you know, their Christmas cards are just uh, uh, not something that we send out anymore because, well, of course, we have Facebook and, and Instagram and those kind of things. I talked about the commercialization of Christmas. Back there, there seemed to be a war between Santa and the manger scene. Um, the war is over. Santa won. Uh, drove to, to Morrisburg on Friday night. Linda and I went to see Upper Canada Village Lights, and it was it was. It was wonderful, but I noted on the drive there that I did not see, uh, the hour and a half drive there and a different route back, one manger scene being displayed in front of people's houses. Uh, Yeah, Santa won that one. Uh, Back then, the big debate was uh, going on in society is whether you should wish somebody a Merry Christmas or whether that was offensive. Um, Nobody cares about that debate anymore. No, wishing someone a Merry Christmas is not a faux pas. Um, Back in 1995, a lot of people were familiar with the story, if through nothing else, the Charlie Brown Christmas story. Um, I think people are less familiar today. But I want to walk you through the Christmas story of Luke and just make some observations, and I'm hoping that you might find it helpful for your spiritual journey, that you might see a little bit of the heart of God in this story again. So Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was the governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to, be re- to register. This is Luke's attempt to tell us when he was born and why he was born in Bethlehem. I say attempt because we don't have any records of that census, and, so, and we don't really know where uh, when Quirinius was uh, governor of Syria. Best scholarship per- puts the birth of Jesus around 4 BC, which is kind of interesting because BC means before Christ. Let's just say that Pope Gregory counted wrong, and we use the Gregorian calendar today. Uh, that's what happened there. Verse 4. So Joseph went from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, uh, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, this census would have been for tax purposes, not for military recruitment, but tax purposes. And given that it was a male-dominated society, there would have been no need for Mary to make this trip because it would have been for the males in society, which means, which makes us wonder why she was there. 
Were things difficult in Nazareth because, well, she was engaged, unwed, obviously pregnant? Did Joseph feel like he couldn't trust anybody in Nazareth if he left her alone? We don't know what was going on in their mind. We know that because she made the trip, the prophecy was fulfilled that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But to say this pregnancy was an inconvenience to Mary would be an understatement. Malcolm Mudridge observed that if Jesus was born in our day with family planning clinics offering convenient ways to correct the mistakes that might disgrace the family name, Jesus probably never would have been born. He said, it is, in point of fact, extremely improbable under existing conditions that Jesus would have been permitted to be born at all. Mary's pregnancy, in poor circumstances, with a father unknown who has, uh, would have been an obvious case for an abortion, and her talk of con- having conceived as a result of the intervention of the Holy, Holy Ghost would have pointed to the need for psychiatric treatment and made the case for terminating her pregnancy even stronger. Thus, our generation, needing a, a, a Savior more perhaps than any other that has ever existed, would be too humane to allow one to be born. But Mary's response was different. When Gabriel made the announcement and said, you're going to conceive by the Holy Spirit, he says, I'm the Lord's servant. Be to me as you have said. Philip Yancey said, oftentimes the work of God comes with two, two edges, great joy and great pain. And in Mary's matter-of-fact response, uh, she embraced both of those. Verse 6. While, there, while they were there, the time came for the shepherd to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available to them. I want you to know this was not in the story. Um, there's no donkey. Every Christmas passage I've ever seen had a donkey, right? You, you need a donkey to have a Christmas passage. Um, but there's no donkey. But even more importantly, there, there's no innkeeper. Bethlehem probably wasn't big enough to warrant an inn. Yet, many of us have seen Christmas program that, that features this hard-hearted innkeeper turning away the Holy Family, banishing them into the night. It's a popular Christmas myth. But of course, the Bible says nothing about an innkeeper. There might have been an innkeeper, but he or she is never mentioned in Scripture. Joseph probably knocked at the door of a private home uh, looking for logic uh, in the home's guest quarters. It would have been kind of like the upper room where Jesus sent his disciples and, hey, can you, can you see if you can get an upper room for us to, to celebrate Passover? Bethlehem was unlikely to have a full-blown inn like in the parable of the Good Samaritan. But even if there was the equivalent to a bed and breakfast, there's no scriptural basis for making the innkeeper a villain. If he existed, what wrong did he do? 
But we kind of like the innkeeper myth. A hard-hearted, secular innkeeper uh, better fits our, our biases. We, because, of course, we, we kind of fancy ourselves and say, ah, you know, it would have been me. I would have given up my own bed for the Holy Family. Uh, we think that as we happily drive by immigrants with a flat tire or scurry off to Christmas shopping and wonder why the homeless don't get a job. We like the hard-hearted innkeeper. He's our symbol of, of the worldling, the, the hard-hearted person who has no room for the Savior or even time to help a young family in need. And we would like to consider ourselves, in contrast to him, compassionate and caring. We believe unsaved people are the selfish ones and the uncaring ones. And grading the world low enough, we can look at ourselves and think, oh, we're pretty good. The innkeeper myth helps the us and them mentality. We have room for Jesus. They don't have compassion. But the story of Christmas is that, well, God so loved the world. God loved the innkeeper if there was one, as much as he loved the shepherds. The question is not how much does God love us, love us, for he loves us with his, his whole being, with, with all of who he is, God is love. And our job is to judge others. My hope is that Asbury would love innkeepers as much as they love shepherds. We hope that we will love those who don't open their doors to Jesus. Because that's, that's what God does. Go on with our story. Verse 8, And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. A couple of noteworthy things here. Shepherds in Israel tended to be in their fields in the spring, summer, and fall. We have no idea when the actual date of the birth of Jesus was, but it was unlikely that it took place in December. I actually see this as kind of helpful. Um, we celebrate on Christmas on December 25th, not because it happened on that day, but because what happened is worth celebrating. God stepped into our world, and, and we valued what happened. The date itself is inconsequential. And there are a lot of things where the reality of what happens is more important than the minutia. It is really important that you know that you are a child of God. That you've moved from death to life. Jesus was not in you, but now Christ is in you, and he is the hope of glory. There are some of you who can pinpoint the date, and you know exactly when that happened. There's others of you who, well, you don't quite know the date, but you know that you were once dead, and now you're alive. You were once lost, but you know now you are found. Date's not important. What happened is... I could go on, but I want to bring you back to the shepherds. If I was going to be in a Christmas pageant, 
I would want to be a shepherd. You know, they're the cute ones in the Christmas passage, right? Except for the, except for the little lambs. Lambs are cuter yet. Um, we have a, a way of romanticizing the occupation of the shepherd. But shepherds in the first century were seen as being were dishonest. Uh, the Talmud, which is a Jewish commentary by famous rabbis of the time, actually puts shepherds in the same category as tax collectors because, uh, well, they would just sneak the sheep onto land they didn't own and the sheep would eat their grass. According to the standards of the law, shepherds were unclean. Shepherds were the social outcasts of the society. I love the fact that it was the social outcasts um, and the religious outcasts that became the first people to hear the good news. You hear Jesus say, I came to seek and to save the lost. But what you see with the angels appearing to the shepherds is that's the heart of God. God loves those who are on the outside. God loves those who don't fit into society. You've heard me say it again and again. I, I love living here in Perth. You know, we have beautiful buildings and picturesque parks and wonderful people. Makes it a great place to live. But there's another side of Perth that I rarely see. A couple of weeks ago, there were four people who died in one day between Smith Falls and here from either drug overdoses or suicide. There are a lot of people who are homeless in our area, and for the most part, they go unseen and unnoticed. According to our health unit, about 10% of our, almost 10% of our of population is is food insecure, which means that they don't always know where the next meal is coming from. Verse 8, and there were shepherds living out in the field nearby. I would say there are people like the social outcasts, like the shepherds, living nearby. What's heart, God's heart? Well, he shows up and he shows himself to them. Verse 9, And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. I get it. Angel appears, the, the glory of God lights up the sky. I know why they were terrified. The angel appeared to Mary, and the Bible records she was deeply troubled in spirit. Now, Mary knew God. Angels appear to the shepherds. They were terrified. When a person who is far away from God encounters the power of the Holy Spirit, there's often fear. I've had people tell me, well, they couldn't come to church because they'd be afraid that if they walked in the building, lightning would strike them. the natural response of people like shepherds to shy away from God. Look at what the angel said. Verse 10. 
The angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. There is good news for people who are far apart from God. A Savior has been born. He, he's the Messiah. He is the Lord. God was saying to the shepherds, the social outcasts of the day, I know you are the social outcasts. And I know that you're outcast by people around you, but you are loved by me. This is good news. It's good news for you, and it's good news for everyone. Sometimes God calls you to be an angel to the people around you, saying, don't be afraid. I want to tell you about a God who loves you. Brings good news. Verse 12. This will be a sign to you. You will uh, find a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger. The idea of the cloth, by the way, is they, it, they were wrapped tight, and so the arms were kept straight, and I guess that was the, the thing to do back then, swaddling clothes. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. Heaven and on earth, peace to those, on, to those on whom his favor rests. Well, the angel had left them and gone into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. God often gives directions. And you see a baby wrapped in cloth, lying in a manger, it's odd, because you normally don't find babies in mangers. Can you imagine the shepherds going to Bethlehem? There, there, there were no signs uh, saying, you know, Jesus this way, right? They would have had to search the, baby, uh, the, the stables. Hey, ha have you seen a baby in a manger? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, that's what we do around here, put babies in mangers. But they searched, and they found him. There's some of you who have been give, given general directions, but you're about what God wants you to do, but you still have to go on a search. My encouragement is keep on searching until you find him. Find out what God wants you to do. Well, the shepherds got used to just one angel, and then all of a sudden there's this great company of angels praising God. They, they heard the words, and, and they were no longer terrified. I love the fact that the shepherds were the, were the people who got a glimpse into heaven. See, for years, all of heaven was wondering how God would do it, how God would come and save this dark world where Satan was the prince of the power of the air. And then the angel saw it. God gave his son. God became human. They saw the plan of God unfolding before them. And there was a party in heaven. And they're singing glory to God in the highest. This is just amazing. This is totally awesome. And the angels got to see them party. Oftentimes people who are far away from God, but open to God, to get to see amazing things from God. Verse 15. 
When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, well, let's go into Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. Shepherds didn't say, wow, that was a wonderful experience. Uh, yeah, let's, let's just lie back in the, on the hillside, stare into the stars and, and bask in, in what we've seen. Isn't that good? Sometimes we do that with church, right? We come and we meet with God. Ah, wasn't that good? And then we forget all about it. No, the, the, the shepherd says, no, let, let's go into Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened that the Lord has told us about. They responded to what God had shown them. When God speaks to you, there's often a follow-up action. Don't forget to Go into your Bethlehem and, and follow up. Verse 16. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they'd seen him, they, they spread the word concerning what they'd been told about them, uh, about this child, who heard, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They were told about the child, they sought out the child, they found the child. And then they told their story. So Mary got to hear their story. And everybody who got to hear uh, that the shepherds ran into got to hear the story. This is what you and I would call a testimony. They shared their experience. When you have an experience with God, it's a good thing to share it. It encourages others. It shows what God has done. It gives people an insight into what God's up to. And it's your experience. It's a wonderful thing to share your experience with God when you run into other people and, and the opportunities open. Well, verse 19. Mary treasured up these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God with all that they had heard and seen and all that they had been told. Mary treasured up these things. Mary stored up these things is what some versions would say. You know, you know why you put things away in your heart? Because there's going to be days when you need to take them out for encouragement. You have these great days where angels sings and, and, and choirs are surrounding you in harmony and you're getting testimonies about what God is doing and you get these days when your son's been betrayed and he's been sent before the chief priests and elders and he's before Pilate and he's whipped and flogged and he's crucified. You get these days when you see the glory of God. You store that up in your heart. Because on those days when it seems dark, you bring it out and remember, yeah, there were angels. Yeah, the glory of God was there. Don't know how God's going to do it. This looks really bad. Don't know God's going to do it. Let me lay one more verse on you. 
John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave. He loved us before we loved him. He cared about us in such a deep way. While we were yet sinners, the Bible says Christ died for us. He loved us. And that word for love, as you probably know, is agape. It's that love that has our best interests at mind, our, 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 our best interests at heart. It's a deep, deep kind of love. And a love like that calls for a response. God gave his son. He says that whoever believes in him will not perish. Our response is to put our trust in him because he is the Messiah, the Lord, the one who will save his people from their sin. God invites us. He says, I love you so much. Would you step into my family in a way where you can sense my love and know my love and be a part of who I am? That's the kind of relationship God invites each one of us into. Some of you have given your hearts to the Lord a long time ago. Don't let it grow stale. The love of God still invites you deeper into his heart. Some of you have yet to invite Jesus into your heart. I invite you just to say a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming for me. Thank you that you love me. Forgive me of my sin. I want to follow you. A simple prayer like that is the start of a wonderful journey and adventure into knowing who God is. He came for everybody, including people like the shepherds. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you, Lord, for how you showed up that first Christmas. Thank you for coming to people like the shepherds, people who weren't perfect, who were on the periphery, who were outcasts. Lord, I pray each person who's here or who's watching this, they don't know you, that they would give their lives to you. Thank you, Lord, for this Christmas season. We give thanks that you came. Thanks for joining us this week on Asbury Free Methodist Broadcast. Make sure to visit our website at asburyfmperth.com where you can subscribe and never miss a show. If you'd like this broadcast, you might want to check out our Facebook page, Asbury Free Methodist Church. Until next week, take care and God bless.